time. Lord, we thank you so much that uh, we get together today. Lord, in, in your presence, Lord, I always get excited when I see everyone here. Um, but I'm more excited. I'm super more excited to know that you're here, Lord, in a special way, because you said we're two or more gathered in my name with a special purpose to seek you, let, that you would be here in a special way. And so I just ask God that you would teach us your word. I pray, Lord, and I thank you so much for the Bible. And I just ask God, you give us ears to hear, Lord, what your spirit is saying. You give us an attentive and open heart, Lord, and, and do, Lord, the teaching because you are our teacher. We love you and we lift this time to you. We lift up the jet ministry and the Operation Christmas Child. And we ask that it would be even more effective than it's, it's been, Lord, that you would uh, reach many, many lost people. Because of simple steps of obedience and faith, like sending a shoebox or maybe going out one Saturday, Lord. And we love you. We thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, today we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. If you have a Bible, uh, if you don't have a Bible, you can raise your hand. One of the ushers will bring you one. This is uh, one of those studies, and I and I like to work with the Bible and just kind of have you guys seeing these beautiful words, these beautiful texts that God has given to us. Today we're going to see seven core commands. Uh, they're commands in the Greek language or imperatives that we can kind of break up into two sections. One of them, one section is how life is filled with tribulation. Amen. Life is filled with troubles, trials, and tribulations. And we're going to see, in one sense, how to deal with that. And then the second thing is how life is filled with conversation. And you're going to hear a lot of words, especially in the church. The word that you really want to hear is the word of God. And uh, and so we look at these commands. And uh, one thing I want to say before we get into it is that in the Greek language, all the verbs are plural and so, in one sense, they seem to describe our collective and public worship uh, even more than our private worship. But we'll see that they apply to us congregationally as a church, but they also apply personally. And so, kind of put that in the back of your mind as you see this again. This is kind of what the church should be. Last week, we went over this is how you deal with people in the church and minister to them. And we kind of continue that that heart notice here in, in verse 16, a series of commands. He says, rejoice. How often? Always. Always, right? Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Now, you know, when you guys go through the Bible, there's different uh, narratives. And sometimes you're in the Old Testament, you're going to read stories. And so there won't be as many uh, word definitions or probably cross references. But when you come to a section like this, it's a little bit more difficult to, 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 to teach in the sense that it's just a whole bunch of bullets, boom, 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 boom. 
And you really do have to get to the Greek language. You have to understand the definitions. And you're going to see today that cross-references are helpful. And so if you're taking notes, uh, you, you might want to write down, we're going to see today a lot of scriptures, a lot of cross-references. And the first thing we see here is how, you know, and I kind of want to give that backdrop. You know, life is filled with tribulation. And, uh, and, and so... Paul writes right here, we are to rejoice always. Always be joyful. The Greek word translated rejoice, it means to be glad. It, it actually speaks of expressions of joy or delight. Uh, Paul wrote the same thing to the church in Philippi in Philippians chapter 4, in verse 4. He said, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say Rejoice. Don't just rejoice when your football team wins. Um, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice when you go through life. And, you know, sometimes it's real easy. You're so blessed, you know, that someone got saved and you're happy. Or, you know, your children are walking with the Lord. It's such a blessing. But what about when that person rejects the Lord? Or, you know, sometimes our kids are struggling. What about when things are not always going good? Paul says right here, rejoice. I know that's difficult. That was the way Paul was. It was an accurate description of who he was, even in difficult times. He wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 10, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. You see? And, and of course, you know, and I, and I look out at the congregation here, and I know you guys are going through tremendous trials, you know? I know how difficult life can be. I understand that as a pastor. I get to... You know, pray with people every day. I get to see the ups and downs in life, the, the tragedies and triumphs of life. And, and so you read a, a text like this and you're like, rejoice always. You are, you're telling me to rejoice in what I'm, I'm going through. And let me just say this. I'm not telling you to. God is. God is saying rejoice always. And so you're like, well, how? And of course, the only way you could ever possibly come to that place of rejoicing always is when you are grounded in the promises of Almighty God. That he will take every trial and temptation and triumph and he will transform it into a place that will bring him glory if you belong to him. If you're a Christian... God's going to take everything and work it for good. That's why James in chapter 1, verse 2 and 3 said, Brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. God's testing your faith. God's making your faith stronger when you fall into that trial and count it all joy. God's going to make you stronger. You see, God's doing a work in you and God's doing a work in your loved ones. God's building up his church and he wants to make us stronger. And God's doing a work in the world that we live in and he wants to save them. God is working. God's not on vacation. God's still on the throne and he's not biting his nails. And we have to know that. You know, we see all the suffering going on all around us and it. 
It's difficult to think of anything worse than, you know, being persecuted. But did you know Jesus said in Matthew 5, 11 through 12, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice. There's that word again, rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. You see, the part of the reason you can rejoice and have joy is because of that place that we will be forever with God in heaven. I don't know how things are going to pan out on earth. But if you keep your eyes on the Lord and you abide in Jesus Christ, then one day you will be home in heaven. When Jesus was nailed to the cross, he was able to endure the cross because of the joy that was set before him. Never forget that. You know, it's not necessarily that when we go through the heartaches of life that You know, we laugh or or smile. I'm not necessarily saying that in the suffering, but we must trust and worship in the suffering, in all things. Trust God. Worship God. Have joy in the tragedies because Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 10 says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. See, and so you know, we're going to see this. And some might say, well, you know, it's not necessarily talking about trials and tribulations. Yeah, you know, but I think when you kind of just pray and you look at this, he is because we rejoice. Well, you know, he doesn't have to tell you to rejoice when things are going good. Amen. I mean, things are going good. You got money in the bank. It's rolling. It's flowing. You know, you feel good. You're healthy. Everybody loves the Lord. It's just so wonderful. Peachy king. I don't have to tell you to rejoice then. But he says to rejoice always. And then something I think that just goes hand in hand with that is the next exhortation, the next command. In verse 17, he says, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. It's like breathing out and breathing in. We pray that the prayer doesn't have to end when we say amen. Amen. It doesn't, right? I'm reminded of what Adrian Rogers said. Satan can't keep God from answering our prayers, but he will do everything he can to keep us from praying. See? He also said that God gives you his unlisted telephone number and invites you to get in touch with him at any time. You know, we have to pray without ceasing. The Greek word translated pray right here, it's found 87 times in the New Testament. It's a, it's a common command for Christians. The, just think about that for a second. The wonderful pr- privilege that we have as God's people to be able to talk to God. You're like, well, I tried calling you, Manny, you didn't answer. And I, I forgive me for that. But I want you to know that God will always answer you. God, God will always answer you. And we can pray words of adoration, words of confession, words of thanksgiving, words of supplication. Lord, I'm sorry for what I did. Lord, I'm grateful for what you've done. Lord, here I am in the midst of this difficulty right here, right now, and I need your help. I'm sinking, Peter said. Help. And God lifted him up and helped him to walk on water. God will do that for you. That's why we have to pray without ceasing. You know, those two words translated without ceasing are actually one Greek word. And it means to pray without intermission. 
According to the Vines Dictionary, it speaks not of what is not interrupted. It doesn't mean that you know, you're praying you know, 24 hours a day, not, not of something that's not interrupted. It's speaking of that which is constantly recurring. That throughout the day, you're just constantly in fellowship with God, constantly aware of His presence. And you're always praying, this is what Christians should be doing, especially when they go through the hard times. And so throughout your day and throughout your life, you're always ready, willing, and eager to pray. You wake up in the morning, you pray. You open your Bible, you pray. Before you eat, you pray. You hit traffic, you pray. The kids act up, you pray. Someone rubs you the wrong way, you pray. You blow it, you pray. You get a request via text message, you pray. Someone comes to your heart, you pray. Someone, you know, wants to do you wrong, you pray. You want to do the work of the Lord, you pray. You end your day, you pray. And you realize that all day long, God has been there for you. You know, Paul really did this. That's why he was the man that he was. Romans chapter 1 verse 9, it says, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. Later in that same letter, in chapter 12 verse 12, he says, Continuing steadfastly in prayer. And you have a heavy situation. You have those frustrations. Whatever you do, don't stop Praying, whatever you do. Jesus said in Luke 18, 1, that men always ought to pray and not faint, not lose heart. It's part of our spiritual armor. It's part of our spiritual ammunition. According to Ephesians 6, verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication For all the saints. Paul wrote to the church in Colossae in chapter 4 verse 2. Continue earnestly in prayer. Being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. You know, and this is what we do, you guys. And and I think they go hand in hand. That's our heart. Lord, uh, you know, here we are as your your people. And, you know, just as as the days go, we're, we're rejoicing always. As the days go, we're, we're praying always. You know, maybe you're here today, and I don't know for sure, but maybe you're like, well, I don't know. I've tried that. It doesn't help. It doesn't make a difference. You know, and, and if you've tried this throughout your day, and you don't think it makes a difference, then can I just say this to you? You are not talking to God. There's something hindering your prayer life. Maybe there's sin in your life. You got to get rid of it because Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, it says that our sins separate us from him. He's not that he's deaf, he can't hear. Maybe another thing that might possibly be the case is you don't have faith. You're, You're lacking the faith of a child that would understand that Almighty God hears your prayers all day long. You know, make sure you believe when you pray. One person said, when we pray for rain, we ought to carry an umbrella. (laughs) You know, are you believing when you're praying? We should be expecting God to answer, and we should be expecting God to answer 
that phone as he sits on his throne. You know, I was uh, yesterday I was blessed to do a men's luncheon and I, and I, I was talking about uh, the movie uh, Chronicles of Narnia. The second movie is called uh, the Prince Caspian. And, uh, you know, uh, so when I got home, I said, man, I want to watch that movie. I, I watched it yesterday. And uh, and it was kind of cool because this is the second one, right? And and if you guys remember, Aslan is uh, is supposed to be representative of Jesus. Beautiful picture of Jesus. I like the way they they show Jesus as this roaring lion. I mean, just so ferocious and at the same time so tender it's just a, a beautiful picture of jesus and as they they go to this this movie they're facing a situation that they can't face and they're and they're trying it in all these different ways so when you see the movie that's pretty much the way it works out they, they almost even go to the devil you know but 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 lucy she's the youngest one and apparently she's the one with the most faith she she knows they need Aslan. They need Jesus. She knows that. And so it's kind of cool because she's 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 looking for him. And so she she out of all the three, she sees him. And so then the other two, uh, if you remember, Susan and Peter, they were the, the ones that were talking most about it. Uh, you know, Susan says, well, why couldn't I see him? And Lucy said, well, maybe you weren't looking for him. And I think that that's what happens a lot of times in our life. You got some people, they see Jesus. Jesus is all over in their life. Because they're looking for Jesus and they have the faith of a child. I know if I, if, I, if I seek him, I'll find him. Later on, Peter says, well, how come I can't see him? And then, and then Susan says, well, maybe because you don't really want to see him. You know, and I was writing these things down as I'm watching my, the movie. And my son's kind of making fun of me. Dad. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm sorry. This is good stuff, man. <laughs> because I know as a pastor, I know how true it is. I know how true it is that Jesus is always there for you. If you pray, he's there. You got to look for him. Clean up your life. Look for him. Strengthen your faith and, and just want to find him. Because I think if you want him, you're going to find him. And as you go through the trials of life, we do go through the trials of life. Um, you know, and then the devil comes in and he tries to use those things and he amplifies them to try to wipe you out. That's why it's so important we take these things to heart. Verse 16, rejoice always, pray without ceasing. And in everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. The Greek word translated everything is usually translated all. All things. In everything, give thanks. Which, you know, is another interesting word. Thanksgiving in the Greek language. Did you guys know it's the word uh, Eucharista? Now, that's come over to the English language in the word Eucharist. Now, the Catholic Church has taken the Greek word for thanksgiving, and they have taken it to mean the body and blood of Jesus in transubstantiation, the cross. 
Now, we don't believe in transubstantiation. We don't believe in the Eucharist like that. But we do thank God for the cross, right? Do you guys thank God for the cross? Do you thank God that that he sent his son to die for all your sins? I know that you do. At least I pray that you do. But I want to share this with you that, that we should thank him for everything. Everything. That's what the Bible says. Now, Paul wrote the same thing to the church at Ephesus in chapter 5, verse 20, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. He said the same thing in Hebrews thirteen fifteen. The writer to Hebrews says, Therefore by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks. To his name. And so this is the way it works, you guys. Okay. I know you're going through hard times. Okay. This is what God's word is to you. Next time you find yourself in that temptation, that trouble, that trial, that tribulation, the next time, which will probably be in about 30 minutes or so, right around there, right? The next time you find yourself there, this is what you got to say. Thank you, Jesus. Say it. Thank you, Lord. I know you're still on the throne and you're not biting your fingernails wondering what's going to happen. I know that everything that has touched my life has been filtered through your almighty sovereignty. Thank you, Jesus. Because I know you have a providential purpose even in this. And so I find peace. You got to do it. You got to say it. You got to live it. You got to believe it. That's what we're supposed to do. You know, you're like, well, Manny, I, I, you know, a lot of bad things have been happening. And I understand that. But that's why, that's why we have the book of Job. When was the last time you had seven kids die on you on the same day? When was the last time you lost all of your money? When was the last time, you know, they came to you and then you... You know, the devil touched you to the point that you were sick from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet to the deepest recesses of your heart. When was the last time when even your friends came to you and they said, you know what, even though it wasn't true, the only reason you have all this happening in your life is because you're in sin, Job. See, that's why we have the book of Job, because you compare the things that you're going through, and I'm sorry, they pale. In comparison to what he was going through. But you want to know what he did? You want to know what he said? He said this in Job 121. Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I shall return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I praise you, God. I worship you. I trust you. Now, I'm not saying he wasn't crying and he wasn't hurting. I'm not saying he was necessarily, you know, had this big smile on his face. But he was in worship. That's what we do. That's what we're called to do. You know, David wrote the same thing. A man who went through a lot. 
In Psalm 34, verse 1, even at a difficult time when he himself had failed God. And that's probably sometimes the most difficult times when we do fail God. It's hard to get up. But you know what he said? He said, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. You know, it says right here that that when we do that, this is God's will for us. Notice again there in verse 18, and everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And and I think that's probably in reference to you know giving thanks. I think it's uh I I think it's you know powerful when we thank God for everything. But it might even just be the everything you're going through. Did you guys know that like everything you're going through? I'm not talking about your sins, but I'm talking about how everything that you're going through is the beautiful, wonderful will of God for your life. But here's the thing. If you walk by fear, if you walk by feelings and not by faith, if you walk by emotions without convictions, then you won't be joyful, you won't be prayerful, and you won't be thankful. You want to know what you'll do? Here's what you'll do. You'll feel sorry for yourself. Right? And I know that's one party that God doesn't go to. He doesn't go to pity parties, just to let you know, man. You know, and not only that, you're going to feel sorry for yourself. And you will be kind of like by yourself. Feeling sorry for yourself. Why? Because you won't call on God. The way that you should. And you're going to be resentful and bitter towards him. And what was supposed to take you 11 days to get to the promised land. That place of victorious Christian living. It might take you 40 years. Why? Because you won't do this. And it's so simple to do. It's so powerful what God's calling us to do. And, you, you, and that is unless you die in the desert. See, you got to do these things. It's so cool. Life is filled with tribulation. I understand that. Trials, temptations, and troubles. But man, understand that God is with you. God loves you. God's working in us. The other day I was reading through the book of Job. And I don't know if I should share this with you, but... But I, as you guys are my friends, um, I was just so blessed by Job. I was so blessed by the by how the Lord, you know, describes him as one who feared God. He was blameless, he up, upright, and he shunned evil. I was even blessed by how when you know when the the Lord talked to the devil about Job. You know what the Lord said? There's none like him on the whole earth. When I read that, I said, wow. And, and I, and I kind of said, Lord, I want to be like that. And then I got scared because, you know, the trials. You know, maybe one day, I don't know, it was, a, it was one of those, you know, good points in your walk. Maybe one day you said, I want to grow. Lord, I want to be like Jesus. And maybe that's why you're going through trials. It's a good thing. Let God do his work in you. Watch what happens. 
You see, life is filled with tribulation. And then secondly, life is, is filled with conversation. Look again at verse 19. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. See, these are things that, that are in the church. These are things that we go through as Christians. And uh, having walked with the Lord now for, for a long time, since 1989, I've seen a lot, of, a lot of things going on. And I can tell you, these are two things that are real big. I remember one time after a church service, I remember uh, when we were at Calvary Chapel, West Covina. It was there on Puente Avenue. And I remember a couple of girls were crossing the street and they almost got hit by a car. And so I remember a, a, a brother, some guy, went up to them afterwards. And, uh, and he said to them, God wants me to tell you this. You need to examine your life or else you're going to die. And so I, I, I heard about that. And I thought, wow, who is this guy? God wants me to tell you this. Who doesn't need to examine their life? But at the same time, is that possible? Yeah, it's possible. Maybe it was a message from God. But we're going to see today that there are some ways that we can test. When someone comes up to you and says, the Lord told me to tell you, or thus says the Lord. You've got to have a real healthy perspective on what. The conversation is what the message is. Is it really from the Lord? Well, let me say one thing. I don't know this guy. They don't know this guy. So how can you test it? Because Jesus said, you'll know them by their fruits. You got to get to know somebody first. There's a lot of ways to test things. Um, can God give me a personal message to someone? And first of all, the answer is yes. Verse 19, he says, do not quench the spirit. And verse 20, do not despise prophecies. We believe in a personal relationship with God. Amen? Okay, objectively, God has spoken to us through his word. And so we're going to see later that everything gets tested by the Bible. But as of having a personal relationship with him, he also gives me what I believe are to be intimate and personal messages at times. And so some people will say, no, that never happens. It's not for today. There's no personal you know, word from the Lord. And you know what? That's, those are the people who are guilty of violating verse 19. They're quenching the spirit. They're quenching the spirit. The Greek word here translated quench, it means to suppress or stifle. It literally talks about extinguishing a fire. See, the Holy Spirit is like a fire. That's what the Bible said. You know, Matthew 3.11, uh, John said, I indeed baptize you with water into repentance, but he who's coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals are not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. It's a fire that will purify your life. It's a fire that will stir up the gifts within you. Paul wrote to Timothy, he says, you know, don't be afraid. He said, stir up the gift that's in you. And that word in the Greek language, it talks about fanning that little flame 
and making it bigger. And that, when that fire of the Holy Spirit is alive in you, then others will catch the fire. The Holy Spirit is described as a fire because of the purifying work. Remember in the book of Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit came down in tongues of what? Fire. You know, you read the book of Isaiah chapter 4, verse 4. It says, when the Lord has washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and purged the blood of Jerusalem from her midst by the spirit of judgment and by the spirit of burning. See, God will purify us by his Holy Spirit. Even in Revelation chapter 4, verse 4, it talks in front of the throne, proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices, seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. That's the Holy Spirit. You read that Isaiah 11, verse 2. And so some people, they want to quench the Holy Spirit because they say, oh, no, God can't give a word. Oh, yes, he can. He can. Sometimes the Holy Spirit himself is moving or speaking and and, that, and and while that's happening, there are some Christians that can actually quench his movement or message through maybe doubt or disobedience. We can resist his comforting words. We can resist his corrective words. Be so careful. You know, as a church, you know, where will the supernatural work be of the Holy Spirit if we have hearts of doubt and disobedience? I'll tell you what, just do this, okay? If, you, if you're questioning whether or not you know, it works this way, just read the book of Acts. Just read the book of Acts. It is the acts of the Holy Spirit working through his apostles. It can't be explained. It's the Holy Spirit. Pastor Chuck said this, the church, the, the true church is a place where God's spirit moves freely. And so if through doubt or the rejection of the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit, we suppress or stifle this spirit, it's the equivalent to what took place in Jesus' hometown when and where they limited the Lord. And you can read about that in the book of Mark, chapter 6, 1 through 5. But in verse 5, it says, Now he, Jesus, could do no mighty works there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people. That's the last thing we want is to limit the Lord. I want the Lord, and I think you do too, to do mighty works, to do almighty works. You know, there we see it was not that many and it was not that much. And so the, the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit can be quenched through doubt and disobedience. And that's why we read next in verse 20, do not despise prophecies. The word despised in the original language, it means to make of no account, to utterly uh, think little of, to regard as nothing, to treat with contempt. Someone comes up to you and they say, hey, you know what, the Lord. And, you know, it's always done. It's got to be done in a gentle way or in a way that you know it's of God. The Lord really laid this on my heart for you. And, and, uh, and, and so you don't just like, ah, and I listen to that. You just, you just tuck it away, you write it down or whatever, and then you bring it before the Lord. We're going to see that. We don't treat it with contempt. We don't despise prophecies. And you know, a prophecy is not just foretelling, hey, this is going to happen in the future. That can be. But it's also foretelling God's word. It's a message. And we see that frequently in the Bible. We see it in the book of Acts. 
chapter 11, verse 27 through 30, there was a guy named Agabus who had the gift of prophecy and he was able to tell ahead of time that there was going to be a famine in Jerusalem, right? Uh, he was later used in the, the book of Acts as well. In chapter 21, he said, whoever owns his belt, I, you know, they're going to be bound by the Romans. He was a prophet who was able to foretell the future. We read about prophets in Acts 13, verse 1, and Acts 15, verse 32 is an interesting one, where it's just speaking the word. Uh, 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 not, not today, I wouldn't, there's no prophets with a capital P. There's no new revelation, new doctrine. We're writing more books of the Bible. It's not like that. It's just that sometimes God will give someone a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom. And so we don't despise those things. If you want to read about it in 1 Corinthians 14, it tells you a lot more information as well as chapter 12. You know, and, and so when you, when you see these words coming forth, and it could even just be a teacher, then don't despise it. But definitely test it. And that's what we read next, Right? Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast what is good. You know, and believe it or not, it happens in the church. It really does. You know, some guy is supposed to be some super spiritual guy, and he comes up to the girl and he says, Hey, the Lord told me that I'm supposed to marry you. You're supposed to marry me. Oh, really? Oh, no, you better test that. <laughs> Are you sure it was the Lord, right? We test everything. If you have a King James Version, it says you prove it. Prove it. So you're saying this from the Lord? Prove it. You have the burden to prove it. And, you know, sometimes it resonates within you. But we have to be really careful with these things. The Greek word to test, it means to examine and to scrutinize and, and really determine whether something's genuine or not. You know, we have to test all things. If the Lord hasn't shown you the same thing, um, he may very well be a wolf in sheep's clothing or someone who's just largely misguided. Because when you say the Lord said, you better be sure. You better be sure. As a matter of fact, if someone claims to speak from the Lord as some sort of prophet, you should be able to test what they say. You know, not just like the fortune teller down the street who tells you common things, general things that really can't be trusted, tested, or proven. You know, Agabus said there's going to be a famine in the land. Okay, I can test that. Agabus said that whoever owns his belt, he's going to be bound in Jerusalem. I can test that. You know, those are very objective things. They end up being able to be proven as people with the gift of prophecy. And in one sense, you guys, teachers exercise the gift of prophecy. I told you already, it's not just foretelling, but forthtelling. And the same thing that I'm sharing with you about guys and girls who come to you with a word is the same thing that I'm sharing to you regarding what I'm teaching. You test it. You prove it, Manny. That's why I love the Bereans in the book of Acts chapter 17. When Paul the Apostle and Silas, they came and they were preaching the word there. It says they searched the scriptures with all readiness to find out whether or not these things were so. You got to know your Bible and you test it and you look at the 
scripture references that are given to you. You test what's spoken. And part of the reason that I really want to encourage you guys in this, because there's a lot of people out there teaching a lot of nonsense. They're not really teaching the Bible, and they're not teaching things that are biblical. And so the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 8, verse 20, to the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that's really learning the Bible, right? That you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You can prove it. How? By the word of God. First John chapter 4, verse 1 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets have gone into the world. And so you, when you just, man, don't despise it. Don't say it can't happen. Healthy churches don't do that. And at the same time, don't just take everything, hook, line, and sinker. Healthy churches don't do that. We test everything. Right? And I don't have time to elaborate on as far as like, there's just so many things, but you can test the spirit that lives in you. This word right here, primary source. You look at their lives, a lot of things, Right? And, and so you, whatever is good, it says right here, you hold fast to that which is good. You hold that, right? That's a word from the Lord. I'm not going to take that lightly, right? And then whatever's not, you let it go. Um, that's what we see in closing. He says, test all things, hold fast to what is good, and abstain from every form of evil. And so you avoid every kind of evil. Uh, keep away from every appearance of evil and the old king james it says that you abstain from every form of evil the word abstain it means to hold oneself off to restrain we saw the same word if you go back to first thessalonians chapter 4 verse 3 for this is the will of god your sanctification that you should abstain from sexual immorality in joshua chapter 6 he told the guys abstain from the accursed things the ones that didn't died. First Peter 2.11, he says, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts. Notice he says right there, abstain from how many forms of evil? Every, every form of evil. You guys have heard me say this to you before, because I don't know if you guys floss your teeth or not. But you're like, so there, I remember seeing in my dentist's office, it says, do I have to floss all my teeth? No, just the ones you want to keep. <laughs> do I have to get rid of all evil? Get rid of it all. Because if you let it re- remain, it's going to be a root canal, if you know what I mean. All forms of evil. God's a holy God. And as we follow him, we understand sin separates us from him. You know, we don't want to plant sin in our life. And let me just close by saying, I like what, what Galatians 6, 7 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he shall also reap. If you sow sin, then you're going to reap it. Again, my Papa Adrian, Adrian Rogers, he said, there are a lot of folks who think they can sow their wild oats six days a week and then they can pray for a crop failure on Sunday. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. You know, we need to abstain from evil, 
Don't sow sin. If we sow to the wind, we're going to reap the whirlwind. But I tell you what, he also goes on to say that if we sow the good things, oh man, we're going to be so blessed by that. So I pray the Holy Spirit will just give us the wisdom to take these things and to apply them to our life. And if you're here today and you don't know the Lord, you know, and you go through tribulation and you go through conversation and you've, or, or without Jesus, my encouragement to you today is to surrender your life to him. He died for you on the cross. He rose again the third day. He bore all your sins. And one day, you're going to stand before God. And you're going to give an account. And if you stand before God without Jesus, then you will perish. But if today you place your faith in Christ, then he will save you. Not me, not the church. Jesus is here to save you from your sins. Lord, we thank you so much for loving us. Lord, I thank you for your word. And Lord, I just pray that today you do a mighty work, God. I just pray for your beautiful children, Lord, that they would have victory, Lord, in their tribulation and their conversation. It would be totally, totally awesome. Holy Spirit doing a work in our lives. And I just ask, God, if there's anyone here today who doesn't know you, they're not Christians, you know them. The Lord knows those who are his. They're right here right now, just this sweeping, rushing, mighty wind of the Holy Spirit. The saving power of God would come in. And Lord, that they would receive you as the Lord and Savior of their life, as they repent of their sins today. And if you're here today and you want to receive Christ and you want to be a Christian Just pray this prayer right where you're at. You talk to God right now and you just tell him, I'm going to give you my heart. That's all you have to do. And let me lead you in a prayer. You could pray this prayer. Lord, I come to you today and I admit I have sinned. But I turn from my sin and I trust in Christ as the Lord and Savior of my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me to live life as a Christian from this day forward, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, um, would love to talk to you afterwards. Um, or maybe you just need prayer, you need a Bible, you have questions about the study, anything. Afterwards, after we sing this song, we'll hang out here for a few minutes, and we'd love to talk to you guys. Okay, let's all stand together, and we'll close in the song.